This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to these podcasts and all of our old ones and see show notes at the newly designed FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Parisa Tabriz is Google's self-described security princess, a euphemism she created in part because hired hacker sounds kind of evil. Her job is to figure out the problems with Google Chrome, the web browser, and fix them before the bad guys do. And that's a pretty amazing job for anyone, much less a 31-year-old woman, which isn't exactly the norm in the tech world. Last July, Elle magazine ran a really long and excellent profile on her, which you could see in the notes for this podcast below. And full disclosure, I knew Parisa in high school. We had classes together, though we haven't talked too much since graduating. So this will be fun for uh, both of us, I hope. And so, Parisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm I'm definitely excited uh, and a fan of the podcast in New Hemet. So thanks. Um, this is uh, exciting. <laughs> so is it weird that I've seen your name pop up a lot, not just on Facebook, because our friends are really proud of you. But is it weird kind of becoming a de facto spokesperson for women in tech? I mean, that's not exactly the job you signed up for, but it's one you have now. Uh, it is it is really weird, and, and it's especially weird when people come up to me and they say, I know you, or you're famous, because I, I definitely don't feel uh, famous. Um, it's flattering to, to be a spokesperson and, um, you know, uh, profiled in, in positive ways, um, but it definitely feels weird, and, and I, I still feel quite awkward about um, owning up to that, so I try to just get to know people and hope that they, they know me versus you know, what they may be expecting from some media outlet. Well, I'm really curious. Um, there's a lot of talk about, like, the problem with women in the tech world and things like that. And, and you know, it kind of parallels what I think Hemant and I have heard about the problems with women and minorities and kind of the atheist movement thing. It's an old white guy movement. Right. And, like, as as a woman in the movement, and I can't speak for Hemant as a minority in the movement, I don't, I feel like, oh, it's regular. I'm just a person who's part of this. Do you feel the same way or do you feel very much like I am the woman in the tech movement? Um, I don't, so, you know, I get asked a lot about, um, what is it like being a woman in tech or, or to ask for, um, you know, and, and to speak kind of on behalf of all women. And yeah. I, I don't feel, I feel like I can speak on behalf of myself of and, and I certainly have opinions about, um, diversity in, in the field. I, I think diversity is important and I think there should be more women. And I know that I would look forward to to more women in the field, as well as just the more, um, you know, diversity across uh, ages working in tech and uh, ethnicities. It is it, the tech world in Silicon Valley is more of a, you know, 20, 30-year-old white guy space. Mm. Um, so I think it's diversity is important just because it means we can actually build better software and better solutions for the really diverse user base that we're, we're trying to do. For, for Chrome, we have billion, um, over a billion users, um, you know, 
all of which are not 30 year old white white men. So right. I think it's important to just build better software. Um, but and, and, and I can definitely speak on on behalf of my own experiences. But I do feel um, that I'm not in a position to speak on behalf uh, of all of all women. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I have had some bad experiences. Like I remember in college, someone t- telling me that I got my job because I was a woman, and and that definitely, you know, makes me really question kind of what is being unsaid. Mm. Um, but I, I I've also had you know a lot of luck and and positive experiences. And despite the fact that most of my colleagues, um, you know, are men, it's not something that that I think about on a daily basis. Mm. Hemant, you told me that we're going to have a guest who is going to be able to speak on behalf of all women in tech. That is so exactly I'm not sure yeah. if we should. <laughs> no, I'm going to get this out of the way now because <laughs> I know people are going to want to want us to ask this anyway. How? What can we do to get more women interested in tech? So I think uh, you know, having yeah. having me uh, on a podcast and having other women um, just kind of speak about their experiences is is actually a, a really um, powerful thing. Um, I've done a lot of speaking and, and working with students um, and, and conferences, um, and I'm always, you know, surprised when a girl will come up to me or a father that has a daughter will come to me and say, you know, I never knew that I could do this job. I never even had considered this. And I think one of the problems with you know, they're not being enough women in tech is we just don't have, it's very hard to visualize this. Um, I, I was lucky and I actually just kind of tripped into this, this major, um, and field. And, um, it wasn't something that, you know, I knew about when I was, when I was in grade school or high school. Um, so I, I can't really say that there was a ton of foresight in me picking this. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, um, probably more women can imagine themselves being a doctor or a lawyer just makes it um, something that they consider, and we're not yet there in, in the tech space. So I think really just getting kind of positive role models out there um, and uh, more exposure can help. Uh, I like to um, – I'm, I'm involved with some STEM, so this is science, technology, engineering, and management. Excuse uh, um, me, math. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm involved with some STEM activities with, with girls um, in junior high and high school, um, one of the, the kind of more powerful experiences I had was participating in a hacker conference where we were teaching kids how to get into web security and find, you know, um, holes in, in software so that they could ultimately, you know, fix them and make the Internet safer. And the, the age range for, for the kids at this conference were um, 14 and under. Most of, wow. most of the kids were around 12. Uh, and it was a, a split 50-50, you know, between girls and boys. And the girls were just as, um, you know, active in participating and asking questions. And that is so different than what I experienced actually as an adult uh, in, the perf- in the industry and, and, you know, at different conferences. So I feel like there's, there's something that's happening, um, you know, during adolescence that's, uh, you know. Something really steering is, women away from the field that we got to fix. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I don't have the silver bullet answer, but I think, you know, what I'm trying to do, what I encourage other people to do is, um, if you know a, a woman in technology or if you know girls that are interested in math and science, you know, talk to them about what they could, they could possibly do, um, with that as a career, because I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, I remember when I was 
really young, I wanted magic powers. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at some point, at some point I realized, you know, like, okay, I wasn't going to have like X-Men magic superpowers. Um, but I really do believe that engineering and computer science and learning how to, to program, it lets you create things um, that you envision that, you know, a lot of people didn't think were possible. Um, working at Google, I've seen self-driving cars and you know, mm-hmm. people fitting computers into eyeglasses and these, these things which, you know, we saw in, in futuristic movies. So and you get to be I on the ground like, floor of that, which is really <laughs> neat. <laughs> yeah. And so I, it, I, I feel like um, it is such an exciting field. And um, it may just not be that it may be the case that those opportunities just aren't, um, you know, presented or or considered to to girls um, earlier in school. So So, I think that's something that everybody can do. So how did you get involved in this? Because like you said, if you asked me in high school what you would do in the future, hacking (laughs) isn't on my list. So what happened in college that got you on this path? Yeah, yeah. so I, I definitely did not know anything about computers before college. Um, I actually picked my, my major a little bit randomly. So I wanted to go to an in-state school, um, and, and I, I like math and science in, in high school. So, um, you know, my, my dad and, and friends were like, well, why don't you try engineering? Because University of Illinois had a really strong engineering program. Right. Why not? Um, Seems so I, easy. <laughs> So I went to, I started in engineering, um, and I've actually always liked art classes. And um, I I realized that, um, you know, one thing that would be interesting to learn how to do is to do web design and, and learn uh, how to create web pages. So I learned HTML and JavaScript um, in my spare time in the dorm rooms, and it was a great way to, to make art. Um, and it's cheap. You didn't need any equipment. Um, it was free because you could make web pages. Um, you know, by learning how to program a little bit and, um, there was free website hosts at the, at the time. Um, so that to me was just sort of a creative outlet. Uh, and the free sites that you could use to host pages, um, they would put ads in the page. Right. So you wouldn't actually get control over the full, um, the full page. And, and I can totally appreciate the irony of what I'm about to say, given <laughs> that I work at Google now, but, um, what I didn't like that because it kind of was, you know, it ruins the aesthetic. To yeah, it kind of cheapens the website. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so I found web, I found some vulnerabilities in how the free <laughs> site was was um, working, so that I could actually block the ads um, and then and, and make my web page have the, the full content of the page. Um, so that's kind of how I got into nice. um, finding vulnerabilities, and I, I pursued that because it was interesting. Um, I ended up doing an internship, kind of to learn more about security and what it might mean as far as the job goes. And then I just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and I, you know, I was lucky to meet a lot of friends, um, or make a lot of friends in uh, engineering. I eventually went to computer science because I liked this, I liked programming and I wanted to learn more about how to do that. I met friends and we ended up doing projects kind of outside of class um, to get more into security. And I think it was a good mix of me having a, a social um, and network and also peers to do interesting projects with that kept me in it. Um, and I think I was always just a little bit better at finding bugs in, in software than actually writing software. So in part, it was just probably easier for it me seems, to do that than finding. 
it seems like whenever I think of people who are hackers, it's something they've been doing like their entire life. Like they were a four year old, like breaking into a system somewhere. Um, it seems like you're going from someone who's just kind of playing with the Internet and figuring out what's going on in college to uh, getting to the position you're at now is a very quick learning curve for you like was there any particular thing that made you jump from kind of curious about it and you know enough to kind of know what's going on to you're the expert in the field like what was it that took that that made that jump possible so i think it was um you know i think i've always had a uh curiosity um and kind of a, an interest in making things um, and breaking things. And, and before going into college, it was more in the physical medium. Um, like I, I remember gutting a TV once and making some sort of like fish tank aquarium, you know, <laughs> weird oddball art thing. So, I mean, I think there was always some part of me that did enjoy um, breaking things down, understanding how they worked, and, and also just creating things. And I think that aligns very well with engineering, um, whether it's, building software and writing software or breaking it to ultimately make it more secure. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it was, it was progressive and, and I look at, um, I, I work hard and, you know, I um, can be a little bit obsessive about certain things and I really just gravitated towards, towards security and wanting to learn more about this Um I don't think there was any one, you know, single point where I went from novice to to expert. And I think that's actually something that I, I try to emphasize to people. I didn't know how to program at all when I went into college. Um, and, I, and I recently met some, some girls who are about to graduate from high school, and they were really stressed because they didn't know what major, what, what job they wanted to have. And I was like, you know, don't worry about it. Um, I didn't actually know what job I wanted. I mean, I... I graduated uh, my senior year in college, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I still actually, don't know. So tell them they're fine. I, that's, you know, I, I, I tell that people, I tell that to people too. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up because, um, you know, I think I've just always uh, found what, if something's interesting, I, I'll get really into it. I'll get, I'll focus on it. Um, it happened to be security at the time and, and I've continued to do that, but I, I, and I've changed when, you know, I've changed jobs a couple times within Google to work on different um, pieces of software and, and take on kind of um, different approaches to, to what I do from breaking software to now I'm um, managing a team and really thinking about kind of strategically what we can do um, to make security on the whole web better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, you know, advice to people is just kind of do what is interesting to you and, and um, try as it takes hard work. So, um, you know, it's not something that like you need to be a genius genius at, but you do have to put in a lot of, of time and um, discipline. And when you're not liking things change and I could totally see myself opening up like, you know, a gelateria <laughs> in a couple of years. So I'm not, I'm not married to the security thing. <laughs> gelateria slash life. hacker space would be awesome. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> So when you, um, I guess not as much now that you're managing a team, but when you were sitting down to like work on, like find weaknesses and work on hackers, which I have to say, like when I imagine your job, I think of it as like Sean Connery in The Rock. Like they have def- <laughs> only a thief can catch a thief kind of thing. So that's who I think you are. 
But <laughs> so what is it that you're looking for? Like, how do you get in the mindset of a hacker? Are you thinking, like, if I want to hack on this, this is what I would look for and this is how I'd go about and do it? Is that kind of what your job was? Yeah, so it's 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 um, a little bit of that. I think actually people can can anybody can do this. So I I teach a class called um, Think Like an Attacker or Think Like a Hacker, and what we actually do to start off the class is not even use a software example, but say there's I usually will use the example of a vending machine, and let's say I task you or both of you to hack into a vending machine Done. and yeah, try easy. to <laughs> and try to get snacks out in a way you know that um, is is uh, ripping off the vending machine. And I think people can actually use that um, example because everyone's used a vending machine. So the, the class is always really interesting because you get sort of the obvious answer first, like the sledgehammer attack. Um, and <laughs> Shake and the machine. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Shake the machine. Um, Reach my hand it, underneath maybe. through the thing. Hopefully it doesn't get stuck. I put money in to, and hit the buttons, and it works every time, <laughs> you guys. Exactly. So it sounds like you guys, you guys are professional hackers. Uh, you know, it's already, the saddest. It is the saddest form of hacking. That, it's a yeah. part-time job. <laughs> yeah, and if you can, I mean, I think if you, you know, you you can go even deeper and start looking into like, well, what is the the manual for this vending machine and how does it work? And it's very similar with software. You know, you, you try to think of how could someone um, try to exploit or steal the assets of the system, whether it's user data or credit card information. Um, and then you have to try to understand how the software works and, and try to find ways that maybe the developers didn't consider um, to, to block those things. So, I think anybody can have the hacker mindset. I think um, depending on how on how cynical you are or, or kind of your your view on, on the rest of the world, it may be easier for some than others. Um, <laughs> but you you know you, you think about um, you know what would somebody what are possible threats? Um, what are the possible things people would want to steal? How would you go about doing it? How might others go about doing it? And then you figure out what defenses are in place to to prevent those people from doing it. So what are companies, like when we hear about Jennifer Lawrence's pictures getting hacked from the from the cloud or whatever, uh, it seems like that's a very obvious thing that a bad person would want to do, steal pictures that are mm-hmm. accessible somehow. Uh, what is it that Apple or whatever, if it's a credit card company or the CIA trying to save things from like Edward Snowden, whatever it is, what are they not seeing I mean, it seems like, oh, yeah, someone on the inside is going to want to get your stuff. It seems like that's something you would have covered when you were writing this stuff up. What are they missing? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, that there are certainly um, ways to kind of have assurance in in software security. Um, I know I use the Internet and I use... um, things without losing sleep and being in constant fear. But I think it's a good thing to remember that at the root of all of this, there's bad people and there's crime. And, um, you know, you can think of like in the physical world as well, that we have a lot of, um, you know, systems and people and even technology in place to protect us um, from, you know, uh, like from terrorist attacks and from kind of, um you know, we have infrastructure in place to protect from um, really bad weather, but still, sometimes these things, um, you know, are flawed. And I think that's kind of something important to remember. Uh, it, there's, you know, a, 
probably a popular press saying where if it bleeds, it leads. And I think a lot of stories that you hear about security are the bad stories, um, just because, you know, the fact that nobody got owned today uh, <laughs> using Chrome is it's just not very exciting. So I think it, in part you hear about only the bad things. Sure. Um, in part, we, we still haven't really figured out the great user experience for security online. Um, you know, we ask people to set a password um, as as their gate for, for their account information. But it's not a really usable system um, to look, to expect that people are going to remember a long string of random characters and also a different long string of random characters for every single site Ugh, they go yeah. to. Um, a really common hacker technique is, you know, if people are, they, they know that people reuse passwords, so they will compromise some weak sites um, and then, then they see that, you know, okay, this user name has this password. Well, they're probably using the same password for their Gmail account mm-hmm. um, or for their, you know, you know, for their bank account. So, so that's sort of just, you know, uh, attackers taking advantage of, of passwords and, and kind of humans, um, maybe the, the reality that it's hard to remember a lot of different passwords. And it's not necessarily a weakness in the, the technology, but kind of, the way it's, it's set up. So um, I don't know. I, I guess that's a, a long-winded and complicated answer, but I think that it is a complicated space. And as long as there's people with bad intentions um, and more and more um, you know, assets that are available online, I expect that there is going to be some amount of, of you know, crime and abuse um, that we'll have to deal with. Um, on the flip side, I think that, you know, tech software is in general more secure now than it ever has been. And, and as I said, I think, um, you know, I don't lose sleep about buying things online or doing all of my banking online. Um, it doesn't mean I'll never get owned, but I, I generally feel pretty safe. It, it, in, in the same way, it doesn't mean that my houses are never going to get robbed, even right. though I, I feel pretty safe. <clears throat> Well, so what I think is interesting is I, I understand why a hacker is going to go after my bank account. Although, good luck, guys. You can just <laughs> leave money there if you want. <laughs> but what I what I think is interesting and, and frustrating is stuff that, like, and maybe it's from me from a lack of understanding of how technology works in general, which it wouldn't be the first time. But it seems to me a lot of the issues we run into aren't people trying to steal money or steal, like, personal information, identity theft. It's just people who seem to want to, like, wreak havoc like the the pictures yeah. that are leaked, yeah. nobody was making money off of that that I could tell. Or like when my computer yeah. gets a virus that just makes it crash, I don't think anybody's. Yeah. And maybe I don't know. They're what doing it for is. shits and giggles. Yeah, more or less. I feel like that's got to be even harder to to protect against. Because yeah. like, of course, you want to protect your bank account because my money's in there. But yeah. what but, happens when people just like want to just jack shit up? Yeah. Um, so I think um, you know I I give this talk that is called the hacker spectrum. And I kind of talk about the different motivations and spectrum of attackers and, or hackers. You know, uh, there definitely are the ones who just want money. And some of those viruses and malware that get installed, they actually are making money. But what they'll do is sometimes um, they'll abuse ad systems and, like, uh, mm. you know, click on, on things or or show you spam and, and there's a revenue stream that way. Um, it's also possible that they can just be using your computer to actually attack other systems. And that's where they would create like a botnet. Um, so a lot of viruses and malware, there is a way to, to monetize that. Um, but there are some, some groups 
or, or hackers that are only motivated by kind of making a statement. So I don't know if you guys were, had heard of Anonymous. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. It's kind yeah. of this, yeah. So it's, it's a little bit unsure what, what they are, um, how coordinated any of it is, but a lot of um, that movement is how you might um, you might call it a hacktivist movement, where they're really yeah. trying to make a statement just for the purpose of making a statement. And it is a really hard thing to defend against because, um, you know, they're just trying to take a website down um, or, or compromise it to, to embarrass a company and make some statements. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if there's a completely effective way of, of combating that. And, and that's also like, it, it's as much a human problem as, as a technology problem. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, with the disclosure of celebrity photos, um, all of which I think were, were um, female, to me, this is like, you know, why are there terrible people that abuse women um, in the world? Yeah. And right, which takes on a whole like, different problem. Yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly, which unfortunately happens in the real real world and, and you know, happens happens on, online too. So um, a lot of these, these things, it does make you, <laughs> being in this space, it definitely makes me question uh, human motivation. Oof. And that I was... spend some, some amount of time um, thinking about, you know, what would people? What could people possibly want to attack in the system? Because that's how we prioritize, you know, our defenses. But um, I don't. I, I think our approach um, in Chrome and, and in Google in general is to make the software um, as secure as possible from anybody that might try to get into it, independent of like what their but by as secure as possible, I mean that we understand what it does, and nobody could use it in an unintended way. Sure. So you know, um, and in that case, then then we can say it's secure because it's at least it only does what we um, want it to do, versus someone being able to abuse it. Um, I actually so didn't mean to, to ask you. A little you. bit of an yeah. yeah. Actually, did mean to ask you: Have you become more cynical as a result of working in this field? <laughs> and like it sounds it. like you have. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, I don't know when I took a turn for the cynical. Um, <laughs> but I, I think um, I have I have definitely um, I I take a, a an approach to life of trust but verify, and um, I think that I do see a lot of bad things, and and that definitely shapes my perspective um, on on the world. But I also see a lot of good things too, and and I'm really happy. Um, working in, in Chrome. So Chrome is an open source project and we have, you know, uh, this mission, our team to make Chrome the most secure way for people to browse the web. And I think that's a really inspiring mission. Um, and we also will work on things outside of just the browser, but to push internet security forward, um, like working on projects that don't even touch, touch Chrome, but really try to make the web safer in general. So I think those are really inspiring and, and important. And I think that helps to balance the fact that, um, you know, I see a lot of bad, but I'm also working with a lot of good people who are are very motivated um, by this mission to just make the web a safer place to be because you can do amazing things on, on the yeah. Internet. Um, and, you know, if people are afraid to use it, then um, that's going to be a loss for for everyone right i think uh, i think bringing up the anonymous thing is really interesting because i feel like i feel the way about anonymous the way i feel about like michael moore like i don't necessarily <laughs> disagree with what you're trying to do but you're going about it in such an awful way i don't i was what do you think what do you guys think about anonymous yeah i know i feel yeah. something like they're they're effective I, at what they do i agree with most of what they say or <laughs> think but ugh. yeah i think um i mean i think 
that it's unfortunate, right? Because um, it's unfortunate that it takes damaging, um, you know, damage to people that probably aren't really um, at the the root of like the point you're trying to prove mm. um, to make your point and make it make it so so broadly. I think. Um, so if you want to make a statement about capitalism, going after Visa may not actually, you're not hurting the people who made the system, yeah. per se. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the reality, you're, you're probably, you know, making the system administrators of the Visa website have to wake up and deal with this versus, right. Right. versus any of the people that kind of were setting, you know, their corporate strategy. So It's the um, same reason I tell people, if you go to a bookstore, stop putting the Bible in the fiction section. Yeah. I know what you're trying to do, but... <laughs> People have to go fix that later on for their own message. You're hurting the bookkeepers and yeah. the people working there, yeah. not the people yeah. who created the categories. I know. It's why I try to be really kind to to customer service of, of oh large God, companies that like give me such a headache because I'm like, right. I know that these people aren't the ones that are trying to ruin my life, but right. they're the unfortunate buffers. So, I mean, I think I think another thing with that's, interest, that's you know, important to keep in mind with Anonymous versus Michael Moore is Michael Moore is, I mean, he is, one guy that we can attribute like all of his films to him and he's happy to take credit for them. Mm. Anonymous is, is I think a bunch of people use that name. Um, and I don't think it's a very coordinated group. So it's hard to generalize, um, you know, anything I think about that as an identity, because I do suspect that there's just a whole range of of hackers that are, um, you can't just arrest anonymous because there isn't one dude sitting in a basement somewhere. Yeah. Like yep. the one guy who hacked Fred Phelps' Twitter or whatever that was is like looking at the guy who did Visa and it's like, come on, dude, like, <laughs> don't use my name like that. So do you guys yeah. ever like, if you wanted to, could you hack into Safari and just cause chaos? <laughs> <laughs> I think just because you can do something doesn't mean you prank. <laughs> very diplomatic answer. How much damage could your team do if you wanted to? I mean, you guys are wearing these caps of, um, you know, we want to make the world a better place. We want to create a browser that everyone can use. The white hat. Right, the white hat. And you've actually used that uh, reference before. What could you do with the knowledge you guys have if you wanted to? Like, I'm sure there are bad people who are coming up to you like, like the bad guy in Willy Wonka saying, like, come to my side and everything will be great. <laughs> oh, yes, the everlasting, everlasting gobstopper. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so so tr- truthfully, um, no one has come up to me, and maybe it's because I've pretty much made my ethics and, and stamp <laughs> on, on this pretty, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty upfront with what I'm interested in working on and, and why. Um, I think that you know, it, it's it's true that um, right now the um, markets for security vulnerabilities, the, the knowledge that you can, the knowledge to create, uh, find security vulnerabilities and, and write exploits, um, which essentially can be weapons, um, and you know, governments are, are interested in buying. Um, there's a wide market for it, and you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, literally, if you find a bug in a browser that is is stable and, and easy to use. Um, and that's probably, you know, more competitive than what you could make at, at a tech company, you know, for their salary. Right. Um, so I think for for me, um, you know, it is an ethics and, and moral thing. Uh, and I don't really think about, I mean, there's a lot of things that 
I could possibly do. I'm sure that I could buy a gun and, uh, uh, you know, do right. a lot of crazy things. It's, it's nothing that crosses my mind. Right. Um, you could I, do it. I, it I doesn't mean hard, that's yeah. ever tempting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never been, it's never been tempting. Um, and I, I think that it's, um, I don't know. Ignorance is, is, is not bliss in this space. And I think it's, it's important to really think about, um, what can go wrong, what, possible weaknesses there are in software so that you can ultimately build in better defenses. Um, and yeah, just because you know how to find those, those weaknesses, um, doesn't at all mean that you would, you would actually do anything with, with them. Let's suppose, you know, I had the skills I somehow create, I got, I exposed some vulnerability in Chrome. I was causing a mess. If you discovered that some group of people has actually hacked the thing that you were trying to protect, what is your game plan? Like, what would you guys do in that sort of emergency? Get a posse together, yeah. right up to your front door. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, there have been vulnerabilities discovered in Chrome. Um, we actually have a vulnerability reward program. So if security researchers find bugs in Chrome and they let us know about them privately, give us a chance to fix them, we'll pay them uh, money to do so. So um, it's actually, you know, we, we support people looking for it. And we want them to tell us about it so we can fix users before they publicize it. But it, it's something that we actively encourage. Um, not everybody tells us about them. And in sure. those cases where we find um, some kind of vulnerability in the wild, then we'll usually find out about them via some channel. Um, sometimes, you know, it's uh, from another company. Sometimes it's from someone, kind of a, a friend in the security industry. It's, it's kind of small. You, we know a lot of people um, that... You know, they are aware of some bug, and it may impact Chrome, too. And we have some a role in our team called the security sheriff. And this person is the first-line response for um, all incoming bugs and, and exploits. And they'll investigate it. Um, there's a, a chat, uh, an IRC channel, um, which is kind of a, a large group chat for our whole team. My team is spread across seven different offices. Mm-hmm. So that's one way for us to all kind of... Um, quickly figure out if this is an actual bug, what it, where, where the bug is, what the best way to, to fix it is. And then we pull in other people from across the Chrome project. Um, sometimes we get a war room where people will convene kind of in person and we'll figure out a plan for how to fix it and how to roll it out to users, how, how to roll the fix out to users, mm-hmm. because just fixing the bug doesn't, doesn't actually count unless you actually get that, those fix, that fix out to, to all the users. Um, but Chrome is spread across over 20 different offices around the world, like from Tokyo and Sydney to, you know, a lot of offices in Europe um, to all over the U.S. So a lot of our meetings are over Google Hangouts, um, do kind of a video conference um, to, to plan all of this. Uh, and Would they Chrome call you up at like 4 a.m. and saying, we have an emergency, get on Gchat <laughs> right now or something? I've gotten, I've gotten some calls. Um, we also have pretty good coverage um, across time zones right. and a lot of awesome people. So um, thankfully, there's usually somebody that's up and it doesn't require, um, you know, getting someone out of bed. Um, but, but certainly there, there are people with pagers. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Google at I the think, top um, of technology right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, we figure out a fix. And Chrome has something called auto-updates. So it means that we can roll out a use, an update to users, and they don't actually have to like elect to install it. But um, the update we can push out, and anytime they, if they you know restart the browser, they'll actually get the update. So we have run through a couple of 
do these exercises where we have to pull out, uh, push out a critical security patch. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, we've, uh, the fact that you said, oh, wow, is uh, hopefully means that you've never actually noticed it. You right, can right. People, um, silently. And it, it, it's happened. Um, we can push out an update to users and have people fix within 24 hours, which is something we're really proud of. Yeah. Um, because a lot of software doesn't. A lot of software, they don't have that fast of response time, and they actually require users to, like, install, you know, click on install, and it's easier to just ignore that or yeah. you have to restart your computer. So familiar. We, we <laughs> a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, I'm and just thinking like, I, I also I'm, am reluctant to updating, updating software. So yeah. um, I'm just thinking it, out loud, it, like on my phone, if I want to update Facebook, they push out and update every couple of weeks, yeah. but I don't know what they would yeah. do in the meantime right. if something happened right. immediately. And then I got to push install or whatever. God, the horror. Right. Right. I know. It's, it's, my life is it, very hard. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound like the sexiest, technology, but actually I think like auto-update is, is one of our best security features with yeah. Chrome um, because updates are really annoying to install. And <laughs> the fact that we can respond quickly and that people don't have to opt into them or get annoyed by them is, is one of our best ways to keep people safe. Yeah. So what are you managing now? So you're now you're not in the hired hacker space. So what sort of team are you managing now? So I, I still... Um, and I just am a, I'm a manager now okay. instead of a, an engineer. So it means I've got uh, about 25 um, hired hackers and, and software engineers that uh, do a bunch of things to try to make Chrome safe. Um, and I spend my time, I spend more of my time with people than code yeah. uh, these days. Um, so I think that that's one difference in the job. Um, we have some people who are trying to find bugs in Chrome and get them fixed. We also have people that are trying to make Chrome's internal architecture very secure. So we know that there's going to be some bugs, and we try to build in um, defense and depth so that even if there is one bug, there are other protections in place um, to mitigate you know, the, the damage of that one bug. And then we have another group that tries to make security more usable. And um, I mean, because security is a, is a very human element, which is kind of what I've, I've mentioned a couple of times. So they actually think about um, you know, how people are are responding to security warnings or secu- security interstitials because if everybody's clicking through them, then they're not really being effective. Right. Um, one of the things they're working on, I'm sure everybody has, has tried to visit some site and they've gotten a warning that says, like, this SSL certificate is invalid or, right. you know, some kind of, um, like that. you often get it if you're, like, at a hotel and, and you want to go through the, the hotel splash screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that a lot of people click through that and uh, we're trying to, you know, improve that because, it's not being effective at, at protecting users. So they try to make security more useful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my team in general um, thinks about how to make the browser more secure because that's kind of the window that everybody uses to access the web. And then, and then Chrome also just tries to make the large web more secure. You don't have to give me specifics on this, but when you're hiring people for your team, what do they have on their resumes that you're like, yes, this is what I want? Are you looking for people who have a certain degree from college? Or could they just be like, I hacked a lot of stuff in my spare time at home? Stop fishing for a job, Heaven. It's tacky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I don't have, um, you know, there's no subset of schools that I only look for. Um, We have a diverse diverse set of backgrounds on the team. Some people do have, have degrees um, from, you know, uh, well-known universities, and some people are college dropouts um, or, you know, degrees in music. Uh, in the security space, a lot of work um, that you do, it can actually, you can actually talk about. Um, so uh, often 
I will look for people with some practical experience. So either they've found vulnerabilities in software and, you know, um, responsibly reported them to software vendors, or they've done some interesting research um, in the space or written white papers about this. And that gives me a, a pretty good insight into, like, what prior work someone has done. Sure. Um, uh, so so it's I look closely at kind of prior work and experience over any kind of, like, GPA requirements. Yeah. Um, it's a little different for, for more junior, junior uh, people, but a lot of the people that come into my team um, do actually have a fair amount of experience. So with that that said, do you think computer science is something that should be mandatory in high school, you know, now? I think so. Um, I wish I had taken a computer science class in high school or, or even earlier. Um, you know, I think if you're – certainly it would have helped me get into this space earlier. Um, but so much of, of what we do and what drives society now is, is based in technology or, or should be. And I think programming is just such a powerful uh, skill. That can be applied to anything, whether you want to be an artist and and kind of, you know, um, use leverage technology to create new forms of art, or whether you want to go into medicine and really, um, you know, try to solve hard um, health problems based on all of you know the data that we have, or or push forward technology that could be used in healthcare. I just feel like um, there's so much opportunity, and the earlier you you're exposed to that, you know, the better. Um, so I. Would love it if it was if it was mandatory. Um, I don't know. I didn't think. I, I, I wish I had gone into a figure at at Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't know if Bennett, you did. I did. But. It was not a good experience. I took computer science <laughs> one. Not my favorite class. <laughs> well, I shouldn't have taken it senior year. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one last question for you. So when I go home to visit my parents now, they will ask me to fix all of their menial computer problems that any person should be able to figure out. I can't even imagine what people close to you ask you to solve for them. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say two things on this. One I am no better at debugging printers than the average person. <laughs> I still find those to be the clunkiest and buggiest stuff forever. Um, I used to, yes. I So I, I live in California now. All of my family is, is still in Chicago. So I go home uh, one or two times a year. And uh, a bunch of years ago, you know, that always included me formatting their computers. They were, um, you know, tons of malware and spyware on them. Yeah. Um, I recently got my – neither one of my parents um, are, are really – you know, power computer users. They, yeah. they need email, they need the internet, and... Yeah, you know, same with mine. pretty much it. Sometimes, sometimes they, you know, they need to open a PDF. Right. Um, so I got I got them Chromebooks. And <laughs> nice. Chromebooks are, they're very simple. They're, they're maybe not for everybody and that they don't have features necessary for everyone, but for them it's perfect. And they have not gotten malware since. If there's ever a problem, I just tell them to close it and open it, and you automatically get, like, this uh, trusted boot, boot oh, version <laughs> uh, of it. So it's it's like the perfect solution for them, nice. and I have not had to do any tech support since. My so mom downloads my mom downloads Indian music from the shadiest sites <laughs> you can possibly find, and every time I come yeah. home, there are ninety new applications on her like desktop <laughs> screen. I'm like, how yeah. did these get there? Okay. Yeah, you gotta tell her. Yeah, I mean, give give her the the safe safe downloading talk. I mean, if you ever got yeah. the safe sex talk, it's, I talk about STDs and, and Mom, I yeah, need I to sit you down. For you. Oh my God. Mom, I need to sit you down and talk about something very important. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Parisa, thanks so much for your time, and uh, we will you. put links to all the, the things you're doing in your website at the bottom. So, uh, thank you Sounds again. Good.
Thanks. Have a good night. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at FriendlyAtheistPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time. 